What I want you to see there is in verse 8 of chapter 12. In that day shall the Lord defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and he that is feeble among them at that day shall be as David. Remember how David, even though he was young, went up against Goliath. And there's a time coming when it seems like Israel is going to be totally overwhelmed because of the power, the might of the enemy. And is God going to take even the feeble and he's going to have, he's going to be like David and do great exploits, as it says in the book of Daniel. And get what he says here. Shall be at that day shall be as David and the house of David shall be as God, as the angel of the Lord before them. And now look in verse 9. You ought to underline verse 9 in this chapter. It shall come to pass in that day that I will seek to, get this, destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. Now, isn't it true that God says, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem. And then God says, I'm going to destroy these nations who come against Jerusalem. But why is he doing that? Because of their treatment of his people. Now, if the Bible is true, and I believe it's true, then there's a God in heaven that's looking down and knows exactly what's going on. If the nations of the world had their way, they would totally destroy Israel. Very few nations are willing to protect Israel. Remember whenever Hitler killed about six million Jews? Israel says, never again, never again. Who would have ever thought that because of what happened, and all those ovens, and all the gas chambers, and what they did to God's people, that people would ever allow something like that to happen again. Did you know just by the mere fact of Obama making a statement that he did about going back to the 67 June War and making the boundaries back to that day, Israel would have no means of defense. They would not be able to defend themselves. But I personally don't think he cares one lick whether Israel is or is not able to survive. That's my humble opinion. I don't believe he cares anything about Israel. He has made overtures over and over and over again to all the Muslim nations, the Arab nations. And I'm not making this up. If you do anything as far as the news, you ought to know that it's true. But he says, I'm going to destroy the nations that come against Jerusalem. Now look in verse 10. And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. Now, when he talks about here, I will pour out upon the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace. There's a verse that I, just hold your place right here, but just turn back there to your left. And there's a, a, a scripture that says there in Zechariah chapter 4. Look in Zechariah chapter 4. It's because of what God is going to do. doesn't matter whether Israel deserves it or don't deserve it. Whether the nations of the world don't think they ought to be chastened, for whatever the reasons. 
In verse 6 it says, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, because Israel will have none. Not by power, because they won't have none. But by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. You see, it's going to be the Lord himself. It's when Christ comes back in power and great glory that he takes vengeance upon all the nations that have come against Jerusalem. And look there in verse 7 where he makes this statement, Who art thou, great mountain? Before Zerubbabel thou shalt become a plain, and he shall bring forth the headstone thereof with shouting, crying, Grace, 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 grace. And then he talks about over here in Zechariah in chapter 12 and verse 10, the spirit of grace. Israel does not deserve what God's going to do for Israel. God's going to do it because God loves Israel. Now look what he says. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. They're going to see the one they pierced. So we know this verse has to be after the first coming. It has to be when he comes back the next time. And so whenever you go over there and you look there in chapter 13, you'll notice in verse 6, he says, And one shall say unto him, What are these wounds in thine hands? And he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. That's when he came the first time. Now look in verse 1 of chapter 14. Behold, the day of the Lord cometh. And thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. In verse 2, for I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. God's going to do that. But why is he going to do that? Because of the way they treated his people when they were scattered upon the face of the earth. And then he says, and the city shall be taken, the house rifled, the women ravished, and half of the city shall go forth into captivity. The residue of the people shall not be cut off from off the city. Then in verse 3, then shall the Lord, L-O-R-D, Lord, this is when he comes back in power and great glory at the end of the tribulation period. And if God does not come back when he comes back, there will no flesh be left alive. There will be no hope for Israel. They'll be totally annihilated. And they do not deserve to be saved, but God's going to do it. Talking about physical destruction. But when they see him, I believe that Israel will believe on him because it says they shall be saved as in a day. And in the book of Romans in chapter 11. And then it says in verse 4, he says, And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives, and it will cleave in the mist, part to the north, part to the south, and a great river will run through it. And it says that that river is going to flow, I believe, right on into the Dead Sea, and there's going to be a great fountain. And God says that uh, the dead sea will not be dead anymore. See there in verse 8. And it shall be in that day living water shall go out from Jerusalem. Half of them toward the former sea and half of it toward the hinder sea. In summer and in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord and his name one. You will know we take great pride in being the, the melting pot of the world. Everybody can come here from all nations and enjoy the bounties of America. But did you know our founding fathers 
even though they open up the doors of immigration to people can come to this great country, all the religions of the world were supposed to be under the umbrella of Christianity. This was one nation under God, one God, the God of Israel, Jehovah, one God. And there's to be this protection. This is why they started all the colleges and universities, all founded to teach the principles of Christianity so that we could preserve this nation. And when people came from other countries, they were not supposed to teach everything contrary to what we teach and what we believe. But anyway, that's another sermon for another time. I want you to look down there now in verse 11. In verse 11, there's a time coming when the Lord himself will be here. The king will be upon the, of the earth. And it says in verse 11, And men shall dwell in it, and there shall be no more utter destruction. But Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. Safely. And this shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite all the people that have fought against Jerusalem. Their flesh shall consume away while they stand upon their feet, and their whole eyes shall consume away in their holes, and their tongue shall consume away in their mouth. And it shall come to pass in that day that a great tumult from the Lord shall be among them. This is what God's going to do. Now, he says he'll state it up there, and he comes back to fire, and then his feet will touch upon the Mount of Olives, and it cleaves in the midst of all of them. Then he goes back and says, now, this is what's going to happen. So as you read this, you can have an understanding. But look what he says in verse 14. And Judah also shall fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the heathen round about shall be gathered together, the gold, the silver, and the apparel, and great abundance, and so forth. Look in verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left, get this, everyone that is left of all the nations which come against Jerusalem shall even go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. So this is what's going to take place. Now, take your Bible and turn to the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew and chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. In view of all that I have said, I believe it's the key to understanding the judgment of the nations. Now look at verse 31. When the Son of Man, talking about Christ, shall come in His glory at the end of the tribulation period, and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. That's what He says. And before him shall be gathered, what? All nations. Now, there's going to be this great judgment. He comes back. And he's talking about destroying all these nations. He's going to destroy every nation that came against Jerusalem. But he says, I'm going to gather all nations against Jerusalem. Boy, there's a big day of reckoning coming. So the new king of the new millennium is going to be ruling in Jerusalem. And now he says he's going to separate the sheep from the goats. Now, as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats, he says he's going to do this with nations. So the nations are there, and there's sheep nations and goat nations. And then there's individuals. So it does look like it's a little confusing. 
And I'll have to admit, it's a little difficult sometimes to put all this together. And I ain't saying I've whipped it all yet. But look what he says in verse 32. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on the right hand, the goats on the left. So that's very simple to understand. Now, the king is going to do something. In verse 41, it says, Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye curse, into everlasting fire. So I would take those must be the lost. Wouldn't you? I would take that. But those that are on the, the right hand, he says in verse 34, Then shall the king say unto them on the right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. See, this is talking about kingdom now. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So the kingdom has been talked about in all these centuries, and yet nobody got to uh, enjoy the, the promises of it. And you'll see that in the book of Hebrews in chapter 11. Though they did all these things for all these years, they never got the promise, the fulfillment of the promise. But this time is coming. And so he says there in verse 35, For I was hungry, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer and say, Lord, uh, when saw we thee hunger, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? Uh, when we saw the estranged. Now, see, now, this is not the judgment upon Israel. This is upon the nations. So this is talking about there's all these nations, and God will deal with nations. And many times as a nation, the governments of the nation speak for the whole, all the people. So there's going to be a judgment upon the individual nations that God says, I will destroy the nation that came against them, but there's individuals within the nations. So these individuals must believe, and there's those that will not believe. So how to harmonize some of this does get a little tricky, it seems like, at times. But remember, God's people have been scattered among the world, the nations of the world. And God has seen how his people have been treated. And God said, I'm going to judge all those people, all those nations. So one way to do that, and in the end times, they're going to gather against Jerusalem. And one of the reasons, they're going to be a, a big battle called the Battle of Armageddon. And the head of the last world power, the Antichrist, is going to be right there in Israel. So the nations of the earth are going to all gather. Though they don't know that it's God behind the scenes, all they know is that they're doing what they do. They're following orders, and they're doing all these things, and they're coming together. Just a coincidence. But there's a God in heaven that knows what he's doing. I believe that in spite of everything that's going on in the world today, I still believe God is in control. That God is still on the throne. And God knows what's going on, and God knows what he's doing. And God can cause a nation to rise and a nation to fall. He can also cause you to rise, and he can put you down. And he can exalt those who are humble and humble those who exalt themselves. I believe God is still working and he is blessing and chastening. He is testing 
And all these things that goes on, it's not because God took a vacation. God is in charge. And you and I are supposed to believe that. But when he comes to the nation, he says, when, when, did, when did we do this? He says, whenever my people, you did it unto my people. And so God knows those who do, and God knows those who don't. So God is able to take, even though he can destroy them as a nation, and then take the individual believers in the nation and establish a new nation. But those that did not, they will be cast into hell, to the lake of fire. And so there's nations that are destroyed, but I believe God will take the believers from various nations, just like he's going to take the believers in the nation of Israel, and Israel will become that little nation, and it will become a big kingdom someday. The little mustard seed that fills the whole earth. And there's other nations upon the earth during this period of time. But those individuals within the nations that God will destroy because of their treatment of Israel, God will destroy. But he says, those that did this against Israel will be chastened. I should say a lot more than chastened. Look in verse 30. Seven, then shall the righteous answer and say, Lord, when saw we this way? When saw we a strange in verse 38? Or when we saw these sick in verse 39? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. So whether or not this is talking about, you know, here's the king, and you did that to my people then if they're being judged, then there must be accountability going on even now. It means that somebody must be keeping the books even now. And God knows what he's doing. And when this time comes, and these are people that have finally come through the tribulation period. They're not all dead. These are the ones that's going to go into the kingdom because he makes the statement there, Enter thou into the kingdom. In verse 34, the king shall say, Come, blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom. These are those that are believers. And then he says up there in verse 41, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye curse, into everlasting fire. Prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no meat. See, these, I believe, are scriptures that's talking about the condition of God's people when they were scattered upon the face of the earth. They went to all these nations and how they had been treated over the years. And as a nation, God can destroy the nation and then take the individual believers within a nation and they get that honor of establishing a new nation. Now, this is just an idea of mine that I have. I can't say it's in concrete, but I think I'm close. And then he makes a statement down here in verse 44. Then shall they also answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee hungry and thirsty and naked and all that? Now, when did we minister unto thee? In verse 45, then shall he answer them, saying, Verily I say unto you, inasmuch as you did it unto, not unto one of the least of these, you did it not unto me. These shall go away into everlasting punishment. So you have the right, the left. You have the goats, the sheep. You've got believers. You've got unbelievers. And they will be separated 
And they spend an eternity separated from God in a literal fire burning hell. The reason that I wanted to show you the book of Zechariah is that God says that he scattered his people among the nations. And then he's going to judge the nations because of their treatment of his people. And then in the last days, he's going to bring all these nations against Jerusalem. Then he's coming back and smite the nations. Then there's a judgment of the individuals that are still left alive after the battle of Armageddon. And those believing individuals from various nations of the world, the believers will get to go into the kingdom. Because if he destroys all the nations, then there won't be any nations in the kingdom. So they have to be rebuilt because it says the nations of the world are going to go into Jerusalem for the worship. So there has to be a reestablishment of nations. The same is going to happen with Israel. The Lord's going to be here. That day is coming. I don't understand everything in this book. But I know enough that scares me to death. And I believe the word of God is true. But if I do nothing more than stir up your mind so that you'll study the book. Because you say, I, I really want to know what God's word has to say. There's so much in this thing that we'll never live long enough to study at all. We won't even get it once we live in the, the thousand year reign and you can sit there and study this book. God is going to help us to see. And then shall we know. We will know as we are known. So there's so much in the word of God. Look up here. This end represent you and me and the wallet represents sin. We have all sinned. Everybody's a sinner. You know, I never knew for years that I was that bad. I really thought I was a pretty good kid. I thought I was good enough to go to heaven. I really did. I mean, I didn't do a lot of things a lot of people did. So if anybody makes it, surely I will. And when Betty's dad sat down with me and started explaining this to me, he busted my little bubble really, really bad. It hurt me deeply. It hurt me so bad that I, I not only cried, I bawled. Because I knew if what he said was true, I'm going to bust hell wide open. And I stood there in that living room, and I turned the lights off because I didn't want my father-in-law to see me in tears. And he says, what's wrong? I'm nothing. He's sitting there in the dark. And I started crying, and I said, I, I want to be saved. I had no clue what that meant. All I knew, I didn't want to go to hell. I knew what that meant. I didn't want to go there. And so he says, come over here. But he says, turn on the light. No sense doing this in the dark. So I turned on the light, and I walked over to the couch, and I got on my knees. And my father-in-law got beside me, and he put his arms around me. And he explained it to me one more time. And that night, I trusted Christ as my Savior. You know, I can see it as though it just happened yesterday. I can remember it. A lot of things I don't remember. Before that day, after that day, so many things are dark. But that night, I remember. It's like a little light came on. And I finally saw it. I am a sinner. And that I have sinned against God. And I'm going to hell. And I realized, after what he told me, that I would never be able to earn my way to heaven. My good deed, my good work, my so-called goody-goody 
wasn't going to work. And so that night I heard the best news I ever heard. He'd tried to tell me over and over again, but for some reason or other, it just didn't stick. This hand representing Jesus Christ. God in the flesh came into the world because he loves us. Hates our sin because it separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. But because he loved us, he took our sins, paid for it on the cross, and came back from the dead. And God said that if I would believe that he did it for me, and trust him to take me to heaven whenever I die, that he would save me from hell, give me eternal life, and I can know that I'm going to heaven whenever I die. So that night, over 50 years ago, I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior. It's the smartest thing I've ever done in my life. I didn't know how important it was at the time. I really didn't. I just knew that I'm not going to hell, but I didn't know how important it was. I didn't really understand the gravity of it. That not only am I going to heaven, but all this other stuff, the understanding that you can have about who God is and what He's done, what He's doing. He hasn't left us in the dark. I didn't know all that stuff was in this book. I didn't even know there were books in the Bible. I didn't know there were verses in the Bible. And I was 18 years old, living in good old Christian America. Well, everybody knows John 3, 16. I had never heard it. Boy, am I glad somebody explained it to me. Now I know that I'm going to heaven when I die. Salvation is a wonderful thing to know. I wish I really, I really knew the word. You got to study, study, study. And you'll never get it all down. Let's pray, shall we? With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around. Friend, if you're here tonight and you've never trusted Christ as Savior, or perhaps you're listening by internet, right where you are, just the best you know how. Just say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe Christ died, paid for my sins, and I'm going to trust him as my only hope of going to heaven. Friend, God said if you'll believe he did it for you, that he would save you and give you eternal life. And you can know that you're going to heaven whenever you die. That's the best news. There's no tricks to it, no gimmicks. With heads bowed, eyes closed, no one looking around. Is there anyone at all say, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior tonight. Preach our life, Peter. Pray for me. I'd like to know it. I'd like to have prayer for you. Is there anyone at all? Just slip it up very quickly, put it right back down. Our Father, we thank you for your word that you've given us. Lord, there's so much that we'll, we'll never understand this side of eternity. But Father, one thing we know, you're coming. You're coming back. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow. But whenever it is, we pray that Lord will be found faithful serving you. Not to get to heaven, but because we're going there. And you said, all those that love your appearing will receive a crown. And help us, Father, to, to believe it enough that it purifies our life. Thank you for each one here. Bless them. Give them a good week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.